0: Welcome to another episode of the Bristol Film Critics Circle podcast. My name is Tara Judah and I am joined by
1: Ben Brewer.
0: And we're going to be talking about a couple of films that are actually out on DVD today. Film criticism does not only have to be about what is out in cinemas, and sometimes we don't see things on first release and we catch up with some of those smaller titles or maybe some of the ones we missed uh, second time round on home entertainment. So we're going to start today by talking about Christmas Horror Story before we move on to Inside Out and then delve into a couple of issues, one to do with interwoven stories in cinema and the other to do with crying in cinemas. (laughs) But before we get our teary eyes all over our microphone um, and and kind of, you know, really get into the emotional heart of why we sometimes go to the cinema, we're going to talk about Christmas Horror Story, which is a film that I hoped would be, and I think we always hope, will be as wonderful as something like you know, Black Christmas or Gremlins or those mm. those big films that you really love watching year in year out at Christmas time. We all hope for new ones that are going to kind of spark uh, yeah. something. And I, I have to say, Christmas Horror Story didn't quite do it
1: for me. Mm. I always liked the Christmas films that um, aren't so schmaltzy and sweet and kind of, oh, Santa's amazing, all this stuff. I like the kind of, like, like, Black Christmas, where it's kind of, it takes the Christmas theme mm. and turns it into something quite sinister. Um, I think the Christmas horror story tries to straddle the, the two sort of genres of comedy and horror, and kind of doesn't ends up quite confused as a as a result. Um, I did like um, William Shatner as the um, the DJ who kind of he, I didn't even has, realize it was I him. Know, he gets he basically plays a radio DJ in a small town called Bailey Downs, and um, gets progressively more drunk as he goes through like a a, a double shift into Christmas from Christmas Eve to Christmas Day, mm. and he kind of um, pulls the stories together. Look, he has he has like a slight connection to a few of the characters in the film, um, but yeah, he's probably the highlight. Uh, I just yeah, it wasn't successful, really.
0: No, well, I think so. we need to talk about this concept of these sort of interwoven stories or the vignette as mm. it as it kind of is with this film. It's one of those films tries to do what Trick or Treat does. Yeah, um, <laughs> Trick or Treat does it very well. Um. I think this film does it much less successfully. Where it has four short stories, and we move from one back to the other. One's about um, a, a family whose young boy wanders off into the woods and gets mm. replaced by a changeling. One's about some teenagers who go into investigative crime scene um, that they shouldn't, and something spooky happens down there mm. in the basement. <laughs> One's about you know a, a very nuclear family who uh, have got the wrong priorities at Christmas time, wealth, um, self obsession all those kinds of wickedness mm. and the other is uh, a kind of I guess parable about Santa Claus and his elves in, in, a, in, a, in a sort of kind of consumerism gone mad tale
1: Yeah.
0: the problem with these things and I think and they try to, to link them together through the Krampus which I don't think works Really I, see, I
1: quite like that I think because obviously Krampus isn't something that we as sort of uh, British people, we don't really know Krampus as well as we know Santa Claus but in sort of like Germany, a lot of European countries, Krampus is very kind of as popular, or well not popular, he's basically the, the dark side of Santa, he, he um, attacks the bad children basically mm. with his weird long tongue and he's basically like a horned demon. Um, I quite like the Christmas bits in this film. I, I, I did because it, it, again, it's like it's that inversion of Christmas. It's that inversion of, you know, that the everybody should be happy at Christmas, and you no, know, maybe, maybe maybe there's something sinister about Christmas.
0: Yeah. I agree that not everyone should be happy at Christmas. I mean, I, you know, I think that that reflects broader society, right? Yeah. Like, we're not all happy at Christmas. Not no. everybody enjoys it, not everybody has these so-called family values that the films often promote around this time of year. Mm. And I think that, you know, just watching those kind of wholesome values in mainstream cinema can be really dangerous and depressing, because yeah. you know, it can single out the fact that for a lot of people, don't have that. Mm. And, it may, and it can actually have the opposite effect and make feel alienated. But the reason this film doesn't work is because, one, it still has those values at the core. It's still... Yeah. Kind of fights for the nuclear family and yeah. familiar bliss. Um, two it, it, it does have a, a kind of moralizing sense of the the ones that kind of get it as it were, mm. like they were immoral or they did something wicked or wrong, so it was sort of just. Yeah. And and I think three, the other problem really is that it flips back and forth between the stories so much that anytime you almost get close to caring about a character, you move to another story. And you kinda lose it and then yeah. you go back to the story and you think, Oh, I forgot. What what was oh, that's right. Well, yeah, 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 she just did this. And I, I think you you know, you either really need to have one very like tightly interconnected story mm. where all the characters get the same kind of fair play and you really do actually develop them quite well. Yeah. Or really just have them as separate stories that start and stop, like with the film, like Wild Tales, yeah. where they're not so much interwoven, but it's like beginning but, end, beginning end, and beginning they, and end. They,
1: but they do, like the say with some like Wild Tales, they do all feel like they belong together mm. in the sense that, like, there are they are separate stories, they're separate characters, but they all fit and they all serve the same purpose in the sense that they all, they all, they're saying something about society. I think I, I, it's difficult with anthology films because. I mean, the quality varies from short to short, and that's no different than The Christmas Horror Story. Like, one of them's just so boring, and it's the one in the basement with the kids, with yeah. the sort of, like, they're trying to make a documentary about a murder that happened a year ago, and it's kind of, it's just your basic, boring, kind of paranormal activity-like yeah. thing, and it's kind of, it's not really involving, but really we spend a lot of time with it. But I think, yeah, the issue is that, Trick or Treat did this, where they interwove all the stories, but they did it because all the stories were very strong, um, and I think Halloween is an easier thing to do than a sort of Christmas scary story. But um, the the issue with it is, is that there's no tension because you build up to like a scary moment and then you cut away, and it's like it completely undercuts its own tension like again and again and again and again. I mean, the Santa the Santa Claus one story is it's more comedy than horror, um, save for a, something that happens, which is, well, it's kind of expected if you listen to the film, but um, it's. I don't know, it's weird because that is more funny, but it works more than the other ones? It's very strange.
0: No, you've completely hit the nail on the head there. It is the tension that is the real issue. Because if these films were, if each of the four stories played out beginning to end, Mm. and then led into the second one and the third one with those kind of small links of character arc, then it probably would work. I think you're absolutely right. What doesn't work is that you're constantly brought out of it, and then you Mm. have to kind of re-access a feeling that emotionally, the film is no longer telling you to feel. Yeah, and it, yes. it sort of mm. it goes against all we know about the way in which cinema's emotional cues work. You mm. know, the music, the editing, all of these things are, are done in a certain way to kind of get you to to, to feel, feel that crescendo, yeah. and then you know to have that kind of like realization at that, that tense moment. Mm. And it completely, you're absolutely right. Then just does, does not work in yeah. this film.
1: And it, it's, not, it's not a particularly scary film either. I'm not even sure they even wanted it to be that scary, but they do like some of the segments do create a nice bit of sort of atmosphere and tension especially the family the family that are out trapped outside in the snowdrifts um being chased by krampus or, or something um i i liked the the atmosphere that that built up but again it undercut itself because you had to then you jump back to the the family in the apartment with the child and it's like you go inside outside inside outside and you just lose any kind of through line and it just doesn't it doesn't work at all which is a shame, because I really wanted to like it.
0: <laughs> Me too, I love a Christmas movie, but this one is just not it. Alright, well let's let's begin our discussion, before we get really emotional, let's begin our discussion about Inside Out, mm. um, which is the newest Disney Pixar film. Everybody probably saw it in the cinema, but it's just come out on DVD. We both... I think actually it's fair to say that I probably am not as enthusiastic when it comes to Disney Pixar as you are, Ben.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> but this one completely got me.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Um, I didn't expect to be as emotionally involved with this film as I as I as it was from the very first moment. You basically follow this young girl. Well, it isn't even a young girl you follow. It's, it's what goes on inside her head, and it's basically it gives personas to feelings and it's such a clever idea that I'm like why has this never been done before in this kind of, or in any kind of way really? I can't think of any film that that really delves into sort of the complexity of human emotion in such a um, like an easy to digest way. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, but it, it works primarily because of the voice actors, I think, and combined with the animation, it's just a complete sucker punch of a film. It really is because I just did not expect to be as emotionally involved with a bunch of pixels, essentially. <laughs>
0: I didn't at all. I'm, I, I'm the only person that I have met, <laughs> it's a strange way of phrasing it, but I'm the only person I've met who Didn't understand what was upsetting about the beginning of art when everyone cried.
1: Oh my god, that's like, that's that's probably the most depressing, like, nine minutes of animation I've ever seen in my life. Like, oh my god.
0: This is what I've been told and what I'm repeatedly told, but no total dry eyes for me. Didn't get it. Didn't cry during Toy Story 3. Didn't really think there was anything sad going on there either. I usually, when it comes to Pixar animation, I'm completely, like, I guess, kind of, almost impenetrable to, mm. with, you know, with its, um, with what it's trying to do. It just doesn't ever get to me. And Inside Out was the first one that has. The only other animation that's ever made me cry is, you know, the Studio Ghibli film, Crave mm. of the Fireflies, which is very, very sad in a very different way. Very,
1: yeah. But
0: yeah. Inside Out, I found, I found myself not just kind of tearing up a little. I found myself actually weeping.
1: Yeah, I was happy soaking.
0: Yeah, this is, <laughs> this heavy kind of weeping in a cinema I think is a really curious position because, okay, the premise of the film is very clever. It is very well crafted and put together. Obviously, together with things like the voices, the music, the way in which the colour palette in the film works, they oh, do incredible. that very manipulatively to make you cry. Yeah. And and so, you, you know, we know that that's coming. Yeah. And quite often what I'll find in films is, even when I maybe do kind of have like a little or two, one or two soul tears, that's often because I can tell that it's the music that's kind yeah. of creating some kind of stir inside of me. And I'm very aware, usually, of what those kind of manipulative mm. uh, aspects of the film are that are, are kind of put together to make me feel that way. With Inside Out, this was almost like uncontrollable for Yeah. It was very, very unusual. <laughs> and I have to say, I think the reason... That um uh, that it made me cry so much. It wasn't because you know sometimes we we bring all our own things to the cinema anyway. Mm. I've had films I've cried in that have had nothing to do with the film. Yeah. But this wasn't to do even with bringing something else to the cinema. And I've been thinking about it and thinking about it, trying to work out what it is in this particular film that was like more of a kind of emotional trigger than most. And I think it's because. You're right we don't see this sort of depiction on film very often this is a film that's made for children it is essentially a, yeah. a, you know a kind of family film an enjoyable film you have an expectation when you go to see a disney pixar film of what you're going to get mm. what i didn't think i was going to get even though i'm expecting some of those emotional manipulative uh, yeah. actions to take place is i don't expect to have a breakdown of what i think is going on inside my own mind
1: it's yeah well, exactly it's and i think as a species as well we are so predisposed to see like faces and personalities and things like you see on the internet people go oh this 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 clothes peg looks like a drunk octopus or something like we, we are constantly looking to sort of humanize everything and it's such a clever move to humanize feelings because we all have we all feel sad we all get angry we all feel joy you know we, we're, we're all scared of everything and it's like it's such a a universal theme that i think that even if you like you say you don't really like Pixar not like Pixar films but you know they don't hit you as much as other people but i think the theme is so universal that you kind of you just get carried away with it because you want it's just you want to see more it's really bizarre
0: and also the actual characters that are inside of the young girl's head mm. so we you know we have joy sadness anger etc one of the things that i was kind of concerned about is that okay these are going to be very broad depictions of emotions mm. and it's just going to be three or four feelings as if that's it yeah and what the film does very well is one it actually manages to show how those feelings interact with one another to create complicated feelings,
1: mm. um,
0: and to create you know complicated time lapses as well. Things like nostalgia and how mm. we understand melancholy, and you know those sorts of disparaging uh, ways in which those emotions change over time. Mm. But also in all of the characters, with joy, with sadness, with anger, they actually have more complicated emotions than just one. Yeah, and. You don't, ex- I honestly don't expect that from a kid's film. I did not expect that from Disney. They've no. been kind of, you know, like making my childhood bland for years yeah. and then they made my teenage years pretty bland and I think they've been doing it to generations for, for decades. And I've ne- I've never seen one of their films and had a kind of really mm. emotional response to it.
1: I, I think Inside Out is probably the first Disney Pixar film that could be only for adults and get away with it.
0: Yeah. Oh, but I think it's also
1: perfect for children. I no, mean... Yeah, of course. Yeah, like, I mean, but like, but if, but if, if they said, if they marketed it as like, this is our first animation for adults, I think you could totally get away with that because everybody has those, those sort of like childhood memories and emotions and things. And, that, and I think that there's, there's a lot there to unpack as an adult, because kids can just watch the, the sort of bright colours and the, and the crazy, like the, the imaginary friend, like I love Ding Bong he was incredible, um, like just utterly bizarre, but just so so good and kids can sit there and watch that and just let that wash over them and not necessarily understand what it is that they're watching But but there's there's such an emotional depth in Inside Out that I think that you could watch it at any age and still find something in there that you can relate to. i
0: a little bit concerned about going back to it a second time. I've only seen it the once so far. I'm not sure that I want to repeat my uh, little I, mini sub. I'm not sure I could right now, okay. <laughs> but this brings us to an interesting topic, which is talking about crying in films, just mm. generally. So what it is that, you know, we, ta- we mentioned briefly in our discussion of Inside Out, the sorts of emotional cues and the sorts of things that film does to make us feel mm. certain ways. And obviously you Know one of our, our jobs is to be aware of what it's doing, mm. to kind of notice when it does that. That doesn't mean it's not successful, but just to be aware of, of what film is doing and how it's achieving that. And I think crying is one of uh, it's like laughing, crying and laughing mm. are kind of the two extremes, aren't they? Really, that they're the ones that those extreme responses that something can actually produce a kind of physical um response of some kind, it can. You know, in, induce an actual sound or, or some kind of like emission from her body. It's mm. a weird way an to put it. but it. Yeah, yeah, like a, you know, a laugh is like a, a very verbal response that kind of comes out when you actually feel a certain way. And crying is something that, you know, it, it's difficult to control mm. those sorts of emotions. We might often sit in, in cinemas and feel things, but we don't always display those things to the people around us. Yeah. And these are two of the ways that we really definitely do that. And I think crying in cinemas is something that I find incredibly cathartic. It's Mm. actually something I enjoy very much. I feel like cinema often gives me the option to deal with a lot of things that maybe are also going on in my own life Mm. through the vicarious experience of those characters. Not having necessarily to deal with my own things, but always having them around and aware. Um, But I do find that, that, that that kind of sobbing in cinema is actually... For me, it's curtailed a little bit if I'm in a busy cinema and there's a lot of people around me. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I wonder if you have similar experiences or what your experiences of crying in cinemas are.
1: Um. Yeah, I think I mean it is. It's I think it's very rare to find a film that will just reduce you to uh, a sobbing mess. I think I think it's quite easy to find films that, that do that do trigger sort of tears, but not sort of like great heaving sobs. Um, there are a few films that I, if I feel like I need to cry, uh, I will watch um, Still Magnolias. Uh, mm-hmm. The sequence of the funeral, I lose it every time. But I don't know, I think, I think that there there is a, I don't know, kind of a barrier sometimes with men crying at films. I think that's kind of like, it's tied into a little on the masculinity question, isn't it really? That If you cry at a film, that kind of somehow makes you... Less of a man? I don't, I don't know if so that's... So this is a
0: curious point, so my question then becomes, because the way that I personally understand firemen in cinemas is, is twofold. One is that you bring something to mm. the film and you let the film what, bring that out yeah. for you. And that's, that's a kind of personal experience that you're having that's based on lots of other things going on. Mm. Or two, it's because literally the way in which the film is crafted has a manipulative emotional cue mm. that, it, that, that sometimes, even though you don't think the film is good, I mean, I've had it where I've been like, this film is terrible. I'll give Saving Mr. Banks as this <laughs> example last Christmas. I did not enjoy Saving Mr. Banks. There were two moments in the film where I was like, and there I am welling up. And yeah. it's because, you know... Well, Disney, those bastards, they know what they're doing when it comes to music. They know what they're doing when it comes to close-up. They know when to play a shot. They know when to take the camera back. And, you know, it's all of these subtleties that cut together. So my question then, if you think that there is still some kind of, I guess, perception, because cinemas are public spaces, Mm. and like I said, you do, I do try harder not to sob when I'm in a packed cinema than if I've got it for myself. Yeah. How how much are we stopping or trying to fight against what the film is doing to us because of public displays of expression yeah, in the cinema? Yeah,
1: I think I think there's there's a lot. Yeah, I think people with laughing, it's it's great because everybody loves to laugh, everybody wants to laugh, so you will, you're more likely to let that out. Um, but I think with crying, there's an emotional vulnerability there. That necessarily, I'm not, not. I'm not talking about just men. I'm just about people in general. Just watching a film, I think there is a, there is a, an emotional rawness with crying that sometimes people just don't want to present themselves as being that emotionally vulnerable. And I think that you can find something really sad, or you can be affected by something you're watching, but then you will fight yourself to not cry. You can feel it happening, but you're just like, no, no, I can't, I can't. But strangely enough, I remember when um, we went to see Titanic. When mm-hmm. um, that came out in the cinema, I went with uh, it was like a school trip to Titanic, which is a really weird thing, but um, like it's really strange because all of the girls were crying at like the, the, the chat don't don't go or not the bit at the end, you know, like in the, and she could have let him on that on that door, but we won't go into that. Um, but there were there were, bo- there were boys uh, in my class who were like poking themselves in the eye to try and pretend like they were crying because it was like it, they they thought that if they cried, it was kind of a good thing because girls would be like oh you're you're really romantic and stuff and it's weird there's that kind of weird dichotomy like, me of like do you want to be that emotionally raw or do you are you just doing it just to, just to try and ingratiate yourself with somebody else i don't know
0: it's i think that well we've, we've kind of opened up an, another bag of worms really which is a you know a <laughs> question about kind of social decorum in cinemas mm. in terms of not social cinema etiquette so mm. much as social cinema interaction and how you want to present yourself and your responses to film to other people. And I mean, I think a very, you know, a very basic way of explaining that is when you go to see a very famous film um, or perhaps a a slightly arty famous Mm. film um, where it's a comedy and perhaps it's satire or it's quite sort of sharp and there will always be someone in the audience who laughs just before the joke to tell you that they got the joke before you did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a curious position. It's a strange thing that people do. We are so aware of each other in cinemas. Mm. We are having a relationship with what's going on with the screen, but we are definitely uh, responding and having some kind of conversation with the people around us. And Mm. I think that's probably, um, we're going to not have enough time to delve into it today, (laughs) but that's a, a tip of the iceberg question, which perhaps we could think a little bit more on. And also if people have crying experiences or their own stories about how they stopped themselves, made themselves or allowed Mm. themselves to cry in films. We want to hear about it and we'd love to have a chat so you can get in touch with us. Bristol Film Critics Circle is a collective, there's about nine of us in Bristol and surrounds. We are doing this podcast on a rotational basis. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Mm. You can go to our website to read more work from our members and our regular column. We encourage you strongly to do so. Uh, But for today, you've been listening to Tara Judah.
1: And Dan Brewer.
0: And we will be back next week with other critics and other topics.
1: Mm, Bye.